I've told you before and I'll tell you again, the strong survive and the weak disappear. We do not intend to disappear. This was Jimmy Hoffa, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. So born James Riddle Hoffa on Valentine's Day, February 14, 1913, to John and Viola Hoffa. In 1920, Jimmy's father died from a lung disease and in 1924, the family moved to Detroit. Jimmy left school in 1927 at age 14, working as a manual labourer to help out his family. Hoffa met Josephine Poswak early in 1937 and she was 18 and a laundry worker. They met at a laundry's workers' strike and six months later, September 25th, they were married. They had two children, a modest home, and later a summer lakefront cottage. In his teens, he worked in a grocery chain and the pay was a bit poor. Working conditions were bad and security was non-existent, so he started a union organisational work. He found his co-workers weren't very happy and they too wanted a union to better their work environment. Jimmy was young, but he was brave and willing to stand up. He was liked and approachable, which impressed the workers and had him rise to the leader. In 1932, the shift foreman was abusive and a bit of a prick, so Hoffer left the grocery chain. He then got an invite to be an organiser with local 299 of the Teamsters in Detroit. Looking at the Teamsters, they began in 1903 and by 1933 had 75,000 members. Hoffa, he with other leaders, strengthened the local trucker union into regional groups and then into a national body, and he completed this in 20 years. In 1936, members were at 170,000. 1939, it was at 420,000, and the numbers kept growing and growing. By 1951, there was a million members. The Teamsters organized truck drivers and warehouse men in the Midwest and then the nation. Hoffa was a big player in what was called a quickie strikes, in secretary boycotts, and he leveraged strength, moved to organize workers, and finally winning a contract demands. All of his work and others had the Teamsters the most powerful unions in the US. Truckers were influenced from organized crime and Hoffa to unify and expand, he had to play ball with many gangsters and as the unions grew, so did the organized crime influence. Although Hoffa wasn't a truck driver, he was the president of Local 299 in 1946. He then led a combined group and then became head of the Michigan Teamsters. In 1952, in LA, Hoffa was picked to be national vice president. The headquarters moved to Washington, D.C. in 1955. The group grew with lawyers to help with contracts. And once vice president, Hoffa was away from Detroit more and more, expanding his responsibilities. 1957, Hoffa became Teamsters president. The president before was Dave Beck, and he was called to appear before the John McLean case on a proper activities in labor or management. Beck was indicted for fraud, and when being asked questions, he pled to Fifth Amendment 140 times. He was convicted and went to jail. 
So the Teamsters are now headed by Hoffa and calls to end the Teamsters came on the basis Hoffa was corrupt. But Hoffa continued on. In 1961, he was re-elected as president. By 1964, he got all truckers in North America under one freight agreement called the National Masters Freight Agreement. Hoffa then tried to have airline and other transport employees added, but it didn't really work as well. In this time, he had serious pressure in his own life. He was in investigations, on trial, had appeals, and pretty much the 1960s, he was in prison. He was re-elected again for president position, even though he was convicted of jury tampering and mail fraud. Hoffa criminal investigations first came in 1957 from the McLean uh, Committee. March 14th, he was arrested for trying to bribe a select committee member. He denied the charges and was later acquitted. But from this came more investigations, more arrests and more indictments. 1960, John Kennedy was the US President and he made his brother Robert Kennedy the Attorney General. Before that, Robert was on the McLean subcommittee and most of us would have seen the clips of him and Hoffa verbally going at it. Hoffa saw Kennedy as a spoilt rich kid and Kennedy saw Hoffa as a, cor a corrupt racketeer. Now Robert couldn't do much but once Attorney General, he went after organised crime and had a squad of prosecutors. These prosecutors, along with investigators, had Robert called them Get Hoffa. In May 1963, Hoffa is indicted for jury tampering. March 4, 1964, he was sentenced to eight years with a 10 grand uh, fine. On bail, waiting on his appeal, a second trial happened July 26, 1964, for conspiracy and mail and wire fraud regarding Teamsters Pension Fund. This got him five more years. So total, he is at 13 years. He appealed and appealed from March 7, 1967. He began his sentence. In prison, the union made Frank Fitzsimmons the acting president. Acting being a very important word, as Hoffa still ran the union through Frank. Frank had been loyal to Hoffa, but soon pulled away. June 19, 1971, Hoffa was still in prison and resigned as president. They then handed control over to Frank. But we're not done yet. December 23rd, 1971, Hoffa was released. No, your maths aren't wrong. He served five of 13 years. Nixon, the US president at the time, committed the sentence to time served. With his resignation, he got a fairly lump sum of money of $1.75 million from the Teamster Retirement and Family Protection Plan. His communication had Kaffer not allowed to be in direct or indirect management of any labour organisation until March 6, 1980. So at the end of what would have been his 13 years, he was allowed to go back. Hoffer wasn't very happy and he said he never agreed to this and that his rights were being deprived. In 1973, Hoffer had plans to get back the Teamsters' presidency. A lot of people did not want this to happen. Those people included many members of the Mafia and one of them was Anthony Provenzano or Tony Pro. Huge mobster and he was a Teamster leader in New Jersey and national vice president in Hoffa's second term as president. 
Tony Pro was a friend of Hoffa's until a feud erupted when both were in federal prisons in the 1960s. Hoffa had the balls to ask Tony Pro in 1973-74 for support and Tony Pro told him where to go, threatening to slice him up and steal his grandkids. Tony Pro was a capro regime in New York City in the crime family of Genovus. Uh, at least two of Tony Pro's union opponents were murdered and those speaking against him were injured or threatened in some way. There were other mafia guys involved, Anthony G- uh, Gia Cologne and his brother Vito. The FBI have it that these two were mediators between Jimmy and Tony Pro. The brothers made three visits to Jimmy's Lake Orion home and one to Guardian Building. The meetings were said to be set up, quote, peace meeting, end quote, between Hoffa and Tony Pro, although Hoffa's son James thinks they were setting his dad up. So with all that, we're on July 30th, 1975. A meeting was set up for 2 p.m. at the Matches Red Fox restaurant. Hoffa left his home at about 1.15 p.m. and went to his office of friend Louis Lintou who had been a Teamster president of Local 614 and now had a limo service. Lintu wasn't there apparently out at lunch, so Hoffa talked to the staff, left a message and went on to the Red Fox restaurant. At about 2.15 to 2.30pm, Hoffa at a payphone directly behind the restaurant called his wife. He was fuming that he had been stood up. He told her he would be home by 4pm and ended the call. People saw Hoffa at his car outside the restaurant, pacing up and down. Two men actually went over and had a chat, shook his hand. Hoffa also called Lintu, giving out about the fact he was stood up. Lintu claimed that the phone call came out about half past three. However, others said that this is impossible and it had to be done earlier, as Hoffa was seen leaving the area at about 2.45-2.50 p.m. Hoffa was seen getting into a Lincoln or Mercury in maroon colour with three others. So the next morning at 7am, Hoffa's wife called James, the son and her daughter Barbara, upset that Hoffa never came home. On her way to the house, Barbara said she had a vision of her father slumped over in a dark colour polo shirt when she got to the home at Lake Orion, her mother burst into tears, telling her that's exactly what he was wearing when he left. Lintu was contacted and he got to the restaurant at about 7.20am and found Hoffa's car there, unlocked. He called the police and the FBI and was taken in. At 6pm, James filed the missing person report on his father. Looking through evidence, you had the maroon mercury soon found to be a 1975 Marrakech Brougham, which one belonged to Anthony Gia Cologne, uh, his son Joseph had one. He had it that the car was borrowed by Charles or Chucky O'Brien to deliver fish. Now Charles was fostered by Hoffa, but their relationship was pretty done before the disappearance. Investigators in the family felt Chucky was somehow involved in his foster father's disappearance. The meeting both 
Gia Cologne and Provenzano denied the meeting whatever happened and that they were nowhere near the restaurant that day. Provenzano had himself placed playing cards with Stephen Andretta, a brother of Thomas Andretta. Surveillance and bugging found no mention of Hoffa, even in private. December 4, 1975, in court, a federal investigator said a witness placed three taking part in Hoffa's abduction and murder. Those three were Thomas Andretta, Salvatore Brigolio, and his brother Gabriel, all known to Pro, uh, Provenzano Cano. Years of investigations couldn't say for sure what Hoffa's fate was. December 9, 1982, Hoffa is legally declared dead as of July 30th, 1982. As of 2021, digs still go on in search for Hoffa's body, but many believed his body was cremated. I could leave it there, but it is very wide open, so to give more information, I'm going to go into the thoughts of historian and investigators. The main argument between the two is that Hoffa was murdered under orders from the Mafia, but finer details are unknown or unprovable. A memo called the Hoffex Memo outlines the Mafia opposition to Hoffa getting back as leader and the threat he was to the pension fund. The Hoffex Memo would say Tony Pro was not high enough to order such a hit, but could have pushed the idea. Author and journalist Dan Muldia has the possibility that Hoffa went against the Mafia, helping investigations against them. The Hoffex also mentions this. But this had doubts because what he knew and could threaten with would have been serious would have gotten him into serious trouble. The most common theory with FBI was it was a mob boss order. Salvatore Brugalio his brother Gabriel, Thomas Andretta, and Chucky O'Brien were ordered to lure Hoffa. The theory was Chucky would lure him to a car, but then there's an argument that Chucky wasn't reliable enough for this job. Where Hoffa, uh, where Hoffa was married is still unknown. He wasn't near the restaurant as that would have had witnesses. The Hoffax memo says he was taken somewhere else. 2017, it was said he was taken to the home of Carlo Licata and he was killed there and he was the son of mobster Nick Licata. Waste incinerators and landfills have all been suggested as places where Hoffa's body has ended up. Then you have the book. I heard you paint houses, Frank the Irishman, Sheeran and the closing of the case on Jimmy Hoffa by Charles Brandt. He says Frank Sheeran, an alleged professional hitman for the mob and a friend of Hoffa, confessed to killing Hoffa. In the book, Sheeran claims O'Brien drove him, Hoffa and Sal to a home and Hoffa was shot twice. In 2003, Sheeran admitted again and the home in question did have bloodstains in it, but the bloodstains did not match Hoffa. January 2013, gangster Tony Sorelli said Hoffa was buried in a shallow grave and was due to be moved but this was abandoned and he is still buried in a field north of Oakland County. June 2013, FBI followed up on this looking at the property in the area owned by mob boss Jack Taco, 
but no remains were found. On his deathbed, a landfill worker said he buried Hoffa in a steel drum 15 feet below a landfill under Pulaski Skyway in New Jersey. October 2021, the FBI got a warrant and did a survey on the landfill. But July 2022, they said, quote, nothing of, uh, of evidentiary value was discovered, end quote. Jimmy Hoffa remains controversial to this day. To many, he was Al Capone of his day, but he did improve life for trucks, uh, for truckers and trucks. Uh, he was a mouth, but that wouldn't shut him up. He did uh, piss off a lot of wrong people, and probably to have him shut up, he was permanently shut up. By who? That is still the question. And today, and probably forever, we will never know who really put a stop to Jimmy Hoffa. And that is the story of Jimmy Hoffa. Hit that like button. If you're not subscribed, please get subscribed. And ring the hell out of that bell. Next time, the story of John Wilkes Booth, American stage actor who killed US President Abraham Lincoln April 14, 1865. He shot Lincoln in the back of the head and fled. Until then, this was the good the bad and the pure evil.